Hey colorful people, welcome to my show Allies in Politics, where I help people of color and new citizens understand Australian politics. When I was looking up um, Asian candidates from the Asian background, uh, your profile came up um, and you obviously are running for Team Clovermore um, uh, for the city of Sydney as a councillor. Um, but before I get into all of that, I did look you up and I found a lot of information about you, right? Information that other people don't seem to have. Like, for instance, you're like 30 under 30, Forbes, you made the Forbes list. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Do you know what? Can you start by telling me about that? How did you even get in? Did you have to like contact someone and be like, oh, can you put me in that list, mate? How, how does that happen? What did you do to make that happen? I, I think it's a, it's a great example in terms of not the accolade or the recognition, but really how our world is changing. You know, Forbes is very much well known for their list, mainly is focused on who is the richest in, in the world, uh, who is making right. it. You know, what does success look like? Um, mm. But the 30 under 30 list has only been around actually for 10 years. Um, we, they recently had um, a summit celebrating a decade of disruption. And it's really recognising that our world's changing, especially with the next generation. The next generation, mm. including myself, I mean, we're not that bothered about whether or not we're going to make a rich list. We're actually interested in what impacts we're going to create. You know, there's no point getting, you know, focusing on things where, you know, that's not aligned to our values when mm -hmm. in fact we can be really tackling and solving pressing issues that we're facing in our future. And I think that's really a recognition of what is out there, um, not just in terms of what's up and coming and what's the latest, but what is meaningful? And for me, that's what I've been focusing for the past 10 years as an architect, as a city maker, interested in how we can design for dignity in our cities. What does that mean? Absolutely. For me, that means, you know, how do we actually work with people's needs and actually listen to them? naturally be bottom up and and go through a participatory design or planning process where instead of even you know for me as an architect instead of me saying look you know I'm a professional I know what's required to improve your living standards or to improve public space or you know just where you live it's really about having empathy and actually understanding people's lived experiences and then empowering them with agency so that they can address issues directly that they're facing that's, so that it's sustainable in terms of for themselves and their personal development so that they can empower others in similar positions or in their community. William, you, you've actually said a lot of big words You've mentioned sustainability, you mentioned impact, recognizing impact, you know, how, you know, the future generation isn't too interested uh, about making wealth as, as, a, as, a, as a way to measure success. 
So I'm just going to backtrack a little bit because we we, ta- we started talking about Forbes 30 under 30. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I also saw other things. You um, be, uh, went to UN to, to do a demonstration and to represent something. Can you tell uh, tell the audience more sure. about that? So as a young, young person, I actually had the incredible honour of heading over to New York in 2019. Mm-hmm. Apologies, actually, that was in 2018. In 2018. Right, okay. And mm-hmm. I was invited to go there to present um, on the Sustainable Development Goals, which are the UN goals that uh, member nations are trying to reach by 2030. There are 17 of them. And I actually spoke at the same day um, as uh, this was all happening during the United Nations General Assembly, which happens in September every year. I actually spoke on the same day as um, then former president uh, of the US, Donald Trump. And I, we were in separate sessions. Uh, my session was on uh, innovation, youth and technology, how young people uh, throughout know-how having grown up in the digital age, how we're using technology to tackle pressing global challenges in our local communities. And my project that I showcased was actually about working with refugees and vulnerable communities, uh, including migrants, who have uh, and how they can actually develop uh, skills in creativity, problem solving and critical thinking but specifically um, through my consultations with the local communities, these young refugees actually told me that um, plastic waste uh, was a huge problem in their environments. And working with stakeholders, with local architects, with local designers and innovators, you know, I realised that, um, you know, a lot of these uh, communities were interested in working together and basically the project uh, resulted in us upcycling plastic waste, say Mm -hmm. plastic water bottles collected from the local environment using open source technologies which allows anyone to access technology for good and to then actually uh, heat up all of the little bits of plastic um, waste into 3D printing material. Wow. We would then actually teach a curriculum uh, for the refugee community on how to then 3D print meaningful objects um, that they can then use in their lives. Um, mm. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, that's that's a great um, achievement and uh, such an amazing project to work on. And the fact that, you know, you spoke about that um, you know, just on the same day as when Donald Trump spoke. I, I was <laughs> you know, very, very much uh, making sure that I wouldn't bump into him in the corridor because <laughs> I just did not actually want to meet him at all. Mm-hmm. We were obviously in the same building. Oh, but right. <laughs> I, I think it also shows that that chance to present that work and the outcomes, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. results of it, um, it really shows that young people... We're not just waiting for leaders to actually, global leaders, you know, even here in Australia. We're not mm-hmm. waiting for our 
traditionally elected leaders to do that yeah. work to solve our problems. We're actually yeah. solving it with ingenuity, with compassion, mm. with creativity, so that we can design that future that we will end up inheriting and work mm. together towards a place where every young person is valued and they're given permission to unleash their potential. Well, and this then brings me to my next question. You've got all these achievements. You're an architect and you're an urban planner also, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you've got this rich background of, of doing advocacy work. Um, what made you decide to run for council? Why not state? Why not federal? Why council? <laughs> hmm. It's something that I keep think, thinking about, um, especially every time I go out into the community. We've been, since uh, the beginning of this year, I've been uh, door knocking, I've been talking to the community, raising different issues, understanding their needs. Uh, obviously, that couldn't happen during the lockdown in Sydney. But, you know, that's what drives why I'm doing this. It's really the fact that the chance, there's so many opportunities to create a vision for a Sydney that is fair, that is sustainable, that is creative. And for me, it's really that direct impact. You know, throughout my career, I've, through these different projects, I've been working with citizens towards city making and um, for them to actually have a say and co-design their own futures. It's really about how that direct impact engages and makes a transformative difference to our communities. You know, architecture, the built environment, how we live, how we work, play and enjoy our city and our public spaces and to understand what is actually in the public interest, it's all physical, it's real. Mm. None of it is about doing a report. None of it is about here's just some advice or here's just an, an idea. All of it is about delivering and making that difference in a very physical way in terms of how our cities are shaped and who gets involved in that process. So you like really being in close contact with the people uh, that you make an impact with rather Absolutely. than somewhere far away. <laughs> that's the well, only way mm. I know what's required and also mm. recognising that our communities are evolving too, which is mm. why local council... And in fact, for me, I, I mean, I've, I've never really considered politics before. Mm. But because I've worked working with young people on sustainability and on climate action, working on their voices and representation, mm -hmm. especially those who are marginalised, uh, for example, mm. people of colour, having worked with them, understanding that, you know, action... Um, needs to be physical and it manifests itself in terms of how do we come together as a community? What are the spaces and places that are safe for all of us to actually form communities? What are the, the creative ideas that we can actually make happen into reality? 
So none of it is abstract. And I think that's the best part. And people see that. People are, are, across our community understand across the city of Sydney that, yes, it's, it's about council rates. It's about bins and streets. It's about all of those things. But it's also about this vision that we're all part of in terms of how do we work together to create and shape that city that of the future that's that where that we have ownership over and have so, so william you're running for the first time ever for for political office right um how did you decide that you were going to join team clover so you are part of uh, clover ball independence Gotcha. Uh, um, and there are various ways, you know, other people have t- taken a completely different journey, a path into local council. They run as an independent altogether. They're not, they're not part of a team or they run for other political parties. So why, why Team Clover? The opportunity came about. I was actually asked by the Lord Mayor of Sydney, Clover Moore, as well as the Deputy Lord Mayor, Councillor Jess Scully, uh, who's who's a quite a young young councillor, in fact, and has mm-hmm. been really pushing for youth representation to really have more youth in politics. And it's fascinating because they've been following my journey uh, about ten years. Uh, in fact, ten years ago, I mm-hmm. ended up creating a, an art installation, a light, a public art installation. I'm, I'm an artist and a designer as well. And as a creative, I was able to, was actually one of my first public design commissions and it was for mm. Vivid Sydney. So I had five sculptures uh, at Circular Quay next to the Museum of Contemporary Art. And my focus on that sculpture was really about sustainability and the circular economy in the built mm. environment. In fact, I didn't even know what I was doing in terms of designing for disassembly, that that was what circular economy uh, would entail. And they had a very keen interest, obviously, in terms of how do we create a city that will be sustainable? How do we design buildings and our infrastructure and our public spaces that uses new concepts? And my installation uh, ended up actually obviously being for a temporary event, being fivered, after three weeks, the, all of the materials were actually designed so that they could have a full life after. Mm. The lights, the sensors, the technologies were all actually uh, on a serve, was designed as a service and they were all returned back to the manufacturers um, oh. for use. Uh, the timber I used as my material actually were designed in a specific way to look like timber pallets, but in mm-hmm. fact they were timber pallets and they could be easily deconstructed yeah. and they have had another three years of a life as working timber pallets. All right. Wow. It's about, you know, transforming how we engage with, with our environment but looking at opportunities for that to happen. So mm. through that, and that, so that was 10 years ago, they've been following my journey in terms of how do we engage with people 
but also mm. how do we start innovating and having those types of solutions and making it and communicating that, which is why, you know, I also ended up doing, a, a, I ended up headlining a TEDx Youth for Sydney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a core part of what I want to do is actually make it simple, not just in terms of communication to our, our residents and our businesses, but actually showing them through design. This is actually the life we can be living right now. You know, there are all these young people who are already creating those solutions towards circularity, towards yeah. a regenerative society. Yeah. And to really enhance and actually showcase that it, it is not that scary. I think, you know, mm. we've mm-hmm. gone through a lot of change in the past year because of COVID-19. Yeah. We've all been pushed outside of our comfort zones to adapt, to be resilient. You know, resilience is that word that keeps and, popping and, around. And, and you think this is what Clover uh, Moore saw in you, the fact that not only did you have uh, this new ideas and skill set uh, that you, and, and, and you know, your, your design, your creativity, your background architecture, you could bring all of that into council, exactly. but also the fact that, you know, um, you're also a good speaker, clearly, given that you headlined <laughs> the TEDx <laughs> talk in Sydney. For me, that's why I, when they asked me to run, mm. I, I considered it quite yeah. deeply. Um, was it an immediate yes, or did you did you have to think about? No, it? I had to think about. It. I actually told them I need time to think about this. Um, mm-hmm. I've never, I've never uh, thought um, about doing this before, but mm-hmm. I think it was the the fact that a hundred percent I'm running as an independent. Mm-hmm. That means I am able to explore and be able to come up with proposals where it is benefiting the community. Um, yeah. Even just this week, and you know, I've learned so much from the team over the past two years of these community leaders in their own right. I mean, just last just last week, uh, the deputy lord mayor Jess Scully had her proposal, which was quite unique, approved at council. She's actually working with diverse stakeholders. Uh, mm-hmm organizations like universities and private providers of student accommodation across our city and through this plan they're going to create a a meanwhile use concept for these rooms and these accommodations to actually provide shelter to women and their families fleeing from domestic violence wow that's incredible and a lot of these things require working sometimes with other levels of government, sometimes working mm-hmm. with neighbouring local government areas. Mm-hmm. It also requires working with different stakeholders in within the community. And that's something that I've been working towards through my own projects in terms of listening to the community, engaging, but actually doing it together so that we can achieve the right outcomes that is based on people's needs rather than just based on, oh, this is a cool idea. So hang on, William. Am I right that you you were approached to run for council, what, two years ago? Correct. 
So it's been a two-year journey to to get to this point. So they already decided that you know two years you know ahead of the elections they've they've already asked you to run and they've already made a plan towards the next election. That's incredible. Two whole years. Bear in mind that the election has been delayed twice. The, yeah. the election was initially meant to be September last year right. in 2020. Right. It was yeah. then, because of COVID, pushed back by one year. Yeah. And at the very last minute, it was then pushed back again for three months and is now yeah. on December the 4th on that Saturday. Right. But the still, so you... They, that, they... that date stays because it's not guaranteed in fact, <laughs> actually. Yeah. So, but I think what it's given me is not that chance to start yeah. working with a very much an experienced team over this period to, to especially during the pan pandemic response. Mm. You know, I've been meeting with Clovermore every, every fortnight and mm. she's not just been sharing her, her work that she's doing directly uh, in terms of council business um, at the same time in terms of uh, her Sydney, sustainable Sydney strategy for 2030 for 2050 mm. but obviously you know that our team of independents have been working hard to support the community especially those who have been left out you know for us is really about making sure no one's left behind did that did that volume out of curiosity include international students as well yeah it, and it did and it's 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 challenging to in some ways uh, at local council uh, not being at that level of government not being responsible for you know when international students can come back mm. or even when you know the education sector for universities which is mm. a different level of government yeah but at the same time there's obviously a, a role for local council like ours at the city of sydney to play in championing our international students in championing, mm. you know, our diverse community, which is essentially what makes Sydney thrive and what makes Sydney great. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, William, because the problem is um, you are right in that local council isn't really empowered to do a lot of the, the larger things, such as bringing international students in. But a lot of councils, unfortunately, didn't do what they didn't do too well was actually taking care of the international students that were mm. stuck locally. <laughs> well, um, I think, you know, these things, again, I, I think you are more flexible in terms of actually solving challenges and, mm. and work with the community to do so. So across under Clover Moore's leadership, she, at the height of the pandemic, actually provided a quite a large sum of money to support mm -hmm. international international students working mm. with Oz Harvest. A right. lot of we were working and talking to a lot of the international student community who, at that mm -hmm. stage, um, were still unsure about their prospects and staying mm. in, in Sydney. Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of them actually needed um, food. You know, right. food insecurity became such a big issue across yes. our city. And so working with Oz Harvest, we were able to actually feed and support international students. In fact, on top of that, just at the beginning of this year, um, during the pandemic, we worked with an international student agent and had actually provided 
a new space, a new mm-hmm. international students hub. Because again, you know, as people were, were within their homes being in lockdown, we realised that actually we need to have a safe space and a welcoming place for our international students so mm. that they can come together and, and network and form that community across our city. So there's now a physical place. Um, it's this international student lounge that the City of Sydney, through the Lord Mayor, is actually delivering and funding. Wow, and that I is incredible. Being in the past, I've attended our Lord Mayor's um, international student welcomes because I used to very much work within this area as well in terms of ensuring that our international students have the best mm. time across mm. our city. Mm. And every year, um, and we've been doing this online, the city, the Lord Mayor addresses and actually welcomes our international students. For mm. me, yes, we're, we're, we're delivering on the actions. We're actually working with these communities. But what's fantastic about these examples are, you know, we're, we're working with communities that actually literally don't have a voice in terms of who they vote for. International mm. students don't get a vote. No. The same with other populations, um, migrants or other people who might be on um, migration visas, uh, but they actually contribute. International students contribute so much to a global economy around town, Haymarket, um, and and also to, you know, just the vibrancy of our community. And Mm. so, of course, we have to support them. And these are, you know, another example is then young people, people under the age of 18. Mm. You know, I've been just so inspired that we have a city leader that is thinking not just about the votes and about you know, playing, you know, towing a party line and playing party politics, that we actually mm. have a leader who cares for people who can't even vote yet, including young <laughs> people, including children. Um, that is music to my ears because I've, my own journey is such that I came here all those many years ago as an international student. Um, and I thought things were pretty uh, rough back then itself, but then now I look at how things have panned out for international students over the pandemic. Mm. And, and I think, oh, thank goodness, I'm not, you know, I'm not an international student, you know, facing this, this you know, uncertain future here in Australia. Because it isn't just about food insecurity, income insecurity, William. It is also about the fact that uh, it, the education, a lot of them come here for quality education. That's been stopped. Um, you know, what's the alternative? Did everyone have access? Not everyone could do online, I think. Uh, not all courses did provide that ability, if I'm not wrong. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure about this particular um, um, thing. But um, the other thing was also a lot of these students come on a visa category that sort of assures them that upon completion or, or, or of a certain kind of education, you have a pathway to permanent residency. And all of that uh, got thrown out in the air and it's people's long-term futures, their hopes and dreams that got dashed. (laughs) So there's a lot more to it. Um, When we look at community representation, when we look at urban governance, who are we representing? Who are we doing this for? We have to look at the entire community, Not not just the people that are making the loudest noise, 
not just the people who are, you know, who think that they control um, council because they're rate payers. You know, we have to be considering international students, young people and children, but also mm. renters. You know, renters play such a huge role in our cities and our communities. And it's just so important that, you know, rental renters also get get their voices heard. And mm. just because they might not be ratepayers and contributing to uh, council's expenditure and delivery, but they're all of these communities and all of these people are still an important part of what makes a city actually tick and be be a city that we love, that we want to be a part of. You've been with, um, you've been on this journey for about two years now due to the postponement of council elections. Um, um, what, have you faced any challenges during this time? COVID being the obvious one. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think um, COVID-19 has actually been really tough for our community. Mm. We have a lot of people suffering, um, you know, and, and, and their sole focus has been on survival. And it's hard, mm. it's hard when you're living day to day, not knowing what's coming next around the corner, not knowing what other changes or challenges or disruptions might happen. Obviously, you know, it's taken a, a huge toll on all of our mental health, which I also think our city governments have a role to play too. Mm. And I think it's been challenging because of how things have been communicated and it's just been important, you know, and for me and our team, we've been out there actually supporting our social housing communities out in Waterloo and Redfern. We've been speaking and engaging with our Indigenous communities across our city as well. Mm. I've been... And it's also been tough as an as an as a first generation migrant, as an Asian Australian, understanding mm. what the our diverse migrant community, but also people of Asian heritage have faced in terms of the increased vilification and racial discrimination. I mean, just last month I've I've been talking to community leaders from from Haymarket, from Chinatown. And it's tough because at the same time, for those who have businesses, they're also losing their businesses. You know, one of my uh, favourite yum cha restaurants within the city, it no longer exists. So I think it's been challenging because obviously it's so important to focus on that response to mm. ensure that... You know, I, I, you know, I've been actually um, supporting our, myself with my group of friends. Uh, we're all kind of young, young community-minded people, and we've mm -hmm. actually been supporting our local community with the distribution of important health health products, including hand sanitizer, especially mm -hmm. to those who might be, not be able to afford it. And and it's also, you know, just reaching out to our local community. For me, Did you find that challenging, reaching out? It is hard because 
you know, every, every, everyone is going through their own difficulties and challenges. But I think, you know, it has been challenging uh, to to really have then those those also important conversations about our city's future. Mm. It's then been, it's added that new element in terms of, you know, and understandably right now people can only just focus on the day-to-day and getting through this together. So for me, I also see that we can actually overcome these thoughts of hopelessness by showing that there is hope, that there is compassion, Mm. that there is a vision that we need to work towards, that we are already working towards, and the incredible positive outcomes that we have achieved for our our community and Mm. also the the big ambitions and the big big picture visions that we're we're gonna tell that story and that narrative um so William what are what are your big picture visions for city of Sydney for me it's just really important that we actually start kick-starting our nightlife our Mm. our creative our small bar and clubs you know, that kind of creative 24-hour economy. It's been hard because of the state government's lockout laws, which were only repealed this year in March. Mm. And then we were in lockdown. Yeah. You know, there's a whole generation of young people going through that's missed out on actually enjoying what our city has to offer. But not just doing that, but actually being a part of the creativity and the ideas and collaborating together to make mm. it happen. So that for me is really, and our team's been working hard to really activate and to provide support, financial support. But at the mm. same time, let's start thinking about our new precincts, KX, King's Cross, mm-hmm. all the way to Oxford Street. You know, there's all these precincts across our city that can be enlivened, but not not only in terms of the types of uses, whether cultural or nighttime or entertainment uses, how can we actually incorporate this across our public spaces? You know, Mm -hmm. we understand that to feel safe, people feel the most unsafe when they're heading from venue to venue. Mm. If we really want to have a truly 24-hour city, we need to create those moments that really excite or inspire us. And that can happen in the evening as well. And we also know that when there are more people out and about, you know, being able to go to a bookstore, be- being able to go to a hairdresser's, mm. uh, but a barber that's been transformed into an art gallery in the evenings, having mm. these different types of uses, that will actually create more different variety of activities that will really enhance and enliven our city. That is really the heart of what a community is, isn't it? Absolutely. It's really about, you know, also, you know, all the in-between spaces, you know, for me, really defending our public spaces, that for Mm. me is what community is. It's Mm. us, you know, now that we're out of lockdown, being able to go Mm -hmm. to to a nice park with good amenities, 
with design excellence so that we can enjoy a picnic together. It's about us continuing to deliver incredible skate parks and playgrounds and active mm. play for young people. Mm. It's also about how we can be more sustainable. You know, a lot of these things where it's exciting because we're showing our community how we can coexist with with the environment. Just um, on the Glebe foreshore, uh, our team, uh, Jess Scully was just out there last week um, seeing the works being done. We've transformed what was once uh, a really dirty canal of water in a high-density residential precinct. Mm-hmm. We've actually worked with Sydney Water, collaborated with them, and it's now a fresh water uh, place where it, the water flows with the harbour and people have been canoeing and kayaking wow, there. Nice. We've created sandstone, uh, sandstone edges. We've built new bridges. Um, and not just that, we've delivered a new skate park that actually goes underneath the light rail viaduct. You know, mm-hmm. it's actually heritage and infrastructure meeting public space and community. Oh, you know what, William? All of that sounds fantastic because I'm based here in Melbourne and I love anything to do with water. <laughs> so you, you said canoeing and all that. I can't wait to visit Sydney and experience all these new things. <laughs> but the best part <laughs> isn't just about kind of these infrastructure outcomes. Mm. You know, every mm. council across New South Wales, across Australia, deliver libraries and swimming pools and and green spaces and and more trees, hopefully. But it's really, how do we do it? You know, for example, that skate park, which, you know, I've I've been to, I've skated there already, is is very much took two years of consultation. And that community Mm. consultation wasn't a ticker box exercise. We worked with the Sydney Skateboarders Association and they Mm. had about 20 local skateboarders very much involved, very much co-designing that skate plaza. They were also working, collaborating with the the construction company, which is a very specific niche construction company that only does skate precincts. And it was incredible to see it opened during lockdown when we could actually do physical exercising. And it was around Mm. the time of the Tokyo Olympics, which for the first time included skateboarding. Yeah. It was fantastic seeing it not just designed for professional and future Olympians, uh, Olympic skateboarders, yeah. but for that it is accessible for young kids as well who are trying it out that sport for the first time. So, how good are you at skating, William? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know any tricks. I I only have cruiser <laughs> boards, um, so I I really cruise around the city. And I think it's a really great way now that we have also more and more of our safe and separated cycleways that we can actually have more modes of active transports, especially ones that children can feel safe on and actually enjoy to get across. But um, even just to um, check out our city, you know, I really enjoy just skating and walking around our beautiful city, looking at the architecture. That's that's so lovely. That's so lovely to hear. So now I'm going to ask you this question. I would really love uh, to get your thoughts. 
you would have known this and you would have noticed this. It would have been quite obvious. There just aren't enough people of color in government as a whole. Um, and there just aren't enough people of color in council. What are your thoughts on that? And what, what would you like to tell people of color that, that you know, can't see people that look like them on, in these spaces? What would you like to tell them? Absolutely. I think this is such an important thing to address, when, especially when it comes to diversity. I know that there's been a lot of talk recently in terms of gender diversity, but mm. also that's, you know, the glass ceiling is really, that's what the focus is on at the moment. And we're forgetting that there is a bamboo ceiling there too. Mm. We're forgetting that there actually diversity incorporates other, other types of backgrounds, other types of lived experiences, other mm. types of understanding of mm. who we are and, why we need to do what we do. I mean, I've been very, very grateful and just really blessed to have had leaders who are doing it, who come from diverse backgrounds. You know, mm. for me to have worked and to be now mentored by Deputy Lord Mayor Jess Gully, who is Indian Chilean mm. you know and she's young as well I mean that's been so powerful you know I basically I'm standing on the shoulders of people who have done it before me and that's mm. I think the in incredible part to remember is we do have our allies out there you mm. know the fact that Clover Moore has asked me to run you know as a person of color as a young person um you know, that shows that there are people that's there wanting mm. to have more representation. And I think a lot of these these kind of conversations really to encourage others who might not ever have considered anything like this, similar mm -hmm. to myself, is that there are people who want to see you win. There are people out there who want to see you succeed. These people exist and it's so important if we were to be able to address the climate crisis and all the future challenges from housing affordability mm. uh, to the environment, we actually need to have intergenerational action. Mm. Um, and the fact that I have been supported and, and also the fact that, you know, there's a team of independents who have been doing this, who have seen potential in myself that I couldn't even see. For me, that's not the biggest, not only, you know, a great recognition of what I can do mm. if I am elected, but it also shows that, you know, I've got incredible mentors to look up mm. to who've done it before and I can really have that trust and rely on them as independent community leaders. The other thing I want to touch on is really how, you know, how, how, we're, how we really do need to understand changing demographics. Mm. And I love that 
our team as independents are able to evolve. You know, I, I think that's the best part is our communities will continue changing who, who they are, what their needs are. Mm. So at, in fact, at the moment, um, 50% of the city of Sydney community mm-hmm. were born overseas. Mm. Did you know that, Doreen? No, I, no, I didn't. Fifty <laughs> percent. I, I was what, born what? overseas too. I was yeah. born in Hong Kong. Mm. I was born um, in the same year uh, as the Tiananmen Square massacre that happened in China. Wow! And my parents okay. had that foresight, uh, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Mm. They've made that sacrifice to leave their friends and family in Hong Kong, mm. so mm. that my twin brother and I. So yes, I've got an identical twin, which ah. must come in handy when campaigning. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I was gonna say, have you put him to good use? <laughs> but it, you know, because of their foresight, I, you know, we've been able to grow up in Australia. We've been mm. able to have these opportunities with the rule of law, with freedoms, mm. and and to be respected. And I still. You know, I'm just so thankful and, you know, for to be a part of an Australian culture where we can give back. You know, mm. in my spare time, I'm a volunteer surf lifesaver. And it's very interesting because that plays a lot into the identity in terms of what I look like. Mm. But for me, you know, I feel that we're vibrant. You know, we have a strong economy because we have a multicultural community. Mm. And even like the work that I do with, say, Surf Life Saving, which happens to be the largest voluntary organisation. Now, mm-hmm. I've been involved not just with young people and their leadership development, but mm. very much working with international students, working with migrants and newly mm. arrived refugees and mm. people uh, who might not understand um, water safety and surf safety and really mm. teaching them and demonstrating those skills and actually bringing them along to my local club, to my local beach, so we can actually um, build the, that community spirit, but at, mm. at the same time make sure that they can enjoy what our city, what our the, the, the incredible Sydney beaches that our city has to offer, but do so in a safe way. Well, that's incredible. I feel like every as, as the conversation progresses, uh, William, I feel like, I'm learning new things about you. This is the first time I've heard that you're part of this life-saving club. So um, you're a really good swimmer as well. (laughs) 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 Apart from, you know, uh, you said you don't do tricks, but you also, you skate around uh, (laughs) the city. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, the other thing, Therini, is, you know, 50% of our city of Sydney is, Mm. uh, were born overseas but also 50% actually are young people. 50% Mm. are actually aged between 18 to 34. And again, Mm. I fit into that category. Yeah. So these demographics have changed and we've already have young counsellors as part of our independent team Mm. aligned together, including counsellor Jess Miller, Mm. who were very much quite is the youngest um, counsellor at the moment. And so... I've been able to be not just for me to learn and see see people before me go through mm-hmm. this and see how how much impact and action that they give me creating, yeah. but also understand that I'm 
I'm part of a team that actually wants this because they've done it before. Mm. You know, I'm not part of a team that puts young people or pe- people of colour in unwinnable spots. I'm part of a team that recognises that good governance requires diverse representation. And we need great independence that can deliver on this. And, you know, I really hope this encourages others, whether you whether you're, you were born overseas, whether or not you come from a migrant family, whether or not you're a young person under 34, to really give this a good hot crack because we need you. And, you know, I'm so excited, hopefully, if I get elected to work with you and um, to hopefully one day to see you running and getting elected too. That's a wonderful thing to say, William. As a final note, um, before before we sign off, um, how can listeners, if they are interested in uh, learning more about uh, your team, your vision for Sydney, and also wanting to figure out how they can support you, um, what can you tell them? There's many ways to um, support to support me and my ind- independent team of progressive and community-led candidates, all of which are community leaders in their own right. Head to uh, teamclover.com.au. Over there, you can find how you can donate to our campaign. Because we're independent, we don't really have the war chests of other big political parties. All of our financial support to make these things happen for us to campaign and spread the word really comes from grassroots community and citizen donors. So please jump on board and support us. You can also sign up and volunteer with me. Um, I'll be actually heading out this Friday to Redfern to start letterboxing our leaflets around the local community again. Unfortunately, uh, we won't be able to door knock and speak uh, face to face to the community, but we'll still be out and about uh, being able to spread why it's important to keep an independent and progressive government so that we can keep doing the work that we're doing for the community. So all of the details are on the Team Clover website. Jump on. I've had so many of my friends and other young people really passionate about doing this because at the end of the day, as you know, for our generation, activism will only get us so far. It's actually so important that we take action and move from activism into action. Mm. And the best way to take action and to tell our generation about this is by using our vote. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to hit subscribe. Allies in Politics podcast is part of the larger Allies in Colour organisation, where we advance people of colour in jobs, business and politics. Follow us on Twitter at Allies in Colour and also don't forget to join our Facebook group with the same name. Until next time.